Can you feel the love tonight? Don't you think about running out to doing no daring do? We've been planning this dinner for two months. The public is in danger. My evening's in danger. You tell me when I saw this woman, we are talking about the greater good. Greater good? I am your wife. I'm the greatest good you are ever going to get. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Style Guide Podcast. I'm Dave Morris, and with me, as always, is Stephen Ray Or, How are you, Steve-O? I am doing wonderful today. I am uh, I'm happy and excited that we're going to talk about uh, childhood favorite Pixar. We are talking about Pixar today, that is right. And uh, I, I, I would say, yeah, childhood favorite, but also adulthood favorite Pixar. Yeah, yeah. Although I can almost chart the moment where where I went made the change from liking Pixar as a as a younger man to liking Pixar as an adult. Like I can point to the movies where that happened. Oh wow, really? Yeah. That's well, I was cool. I was sitting there looking over the list. I'm like, oh, hmm. Yeah, that's that's when I uh, quote unquote grew up. <laughs> wow. And I guess you know what? This might be one of those the the first like. Uh... Uh, uh, sort of styles and, or genres or filmmakers or whatever we want to call Pixar that we've talked about where our age difference may actually show a little bit more. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it showed a little bit when we spoke about Ender's Game, but that was partially when we came to the books, not so much uh, how old we were when they came to us. Exactly, yeah. and and Because uh, um, Toy Story came out when I was just entering high school. And I was eight years old. Yeah, so we uh, there was a, a difference there that I think may show up when we talk about it. Uh, anyway, true. we are talking about Pixar today, uh, Pixar Animation Studios, which has been purchased by Disney since they began, of course. And uh, we're going to try, if I'm not mistaken, to not talk about Disney movies, but we're going to talk about Pixar movies, including the movies that were made after they were purchased. Yeah, but still the ones that were just made by Pixar. So... We're not going to talk about planes. No, uh, we're definitely. actually we're, we're not. We're not going to talk about planes. <laughs> we're not going to talk about cars, actually, either. Um, probably not. I don't know those very well at all. I actually haven't seen them, uh, yeah. And so I, I can't. I mean, there's movies about cars. That's all I got. I don't think anyone's seen them, so I think we're fine. Um, I think small children saw them. Like they're they're rated terribly, but I think kids loved <laughs> them. Yeah, and there is a Cars Land now at Disneyland, so people must have liked them. It's true. And, uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Although I, I feel like we may venture a little bit into Disney uh, to talk about things like maybe um, Wreck-It Ralph or Frozen, some of the modern Disney films that you can almost see the Pixar influence on them. But we'll see. We'll see when we get there. We'll see when we get there. Yeah, and I think it, it might be fitting for us to one day do a podcast about old Disney and modern Disney as well. Well, we'd have to watch old Disney movies. You've seen most of the old Disney movies. I know, but Sleeping Beauty is so boring. But Bambi... <laughs> so boring. Okay, um, <laughs> let's let's talk about Pixar. So, where do you want to start, Steve? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with uh, how much we love Pixar, how much we hate Pixar, our favorite Pixar? Where do you want to start? Well, I, I think we should start with another caveat, and and that's uh, we're not going to talk about the shorts, uh, which is not to say that they're not good, but uh, I just I don't remember most of them, which is strange because I remember the Pixar movies very. Uh, I remember their plots and their characters and their stories, and the Pixar shorts are mostly a blur for me. Yeah, because they're but they are really beautiful, and I and I know the the sensation of watching them always made me happy. Like uh, I remember, I just at uh, when I saw Inside Out in theaters and the lava one, 
Didn't, was that no. remember that one? The yeah, I, 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 I love, love you. you so adorable. But uh, I remember when that came on, and I was watching it, and I was like, "This is classic, like sad, sad Pixar, <laughs> like, <laughs> like trying to make you cry." Like Missy was met next to me, my wife, and she was just like starting to cry during it, and I was like, "I know, right? <laughs> Why start a movie so sad, Pixar?" <laughs> um, and all these little kids in the theater were like not happy. They were not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think it's such a beautiful little short. But I think that that kind of um, epitomizes a lot of what I what I think of Pixar in my rewatch. It's not something that I thought of originally, but uh, I was talking with my partner about this, and uh, and she asked when we were watching Brave just before it started, "Is this one a musical?" Is and and. I had to point out to her that Pixar doesn't make musicals. They, they're not Disney. Um, but I realized that Pixar does have often, I would say, a heavy-handed use of music and uh, that intersects with the, the theme and the narrative of what they're doing. And Lava kind of uh, uh, epitomizes that, mm, yeah. that musical feel for it. Like I was re-watching Toy Story which, you know, opens with You've Got a Friend in Me, which is, you know, now now a Pixar song for sure. But, I mean, that that more or less is heavy-handedly stating the theme again and again yeah. right at the top of the movie. Well, let's start there. I'm going to start with Toy Story, just the, okay. the original Pixar film that came out, uh, Toy Story, and how amazingly, uh, I, I want to say game-changing, but I don't want to say game changing because then I sound like someone who says game changer. Uh, but the, it, how game changing it was as an animated film. Uh, and that me as like a high school student, like like grade eight student getting ready to, to start a new stage of my life, watched it and was just so happy throughout the whole thing uh, and how much it did change what animated films were. Yeah, I, I I think that's fair. I mean, we've talked a little bit before about, or I've talked a little bit before about uh, movies that I think encapsulate the 90s, you know, things like Jurassic Park and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think Toy Story is, encapsulates a very particular feel in the 90s that, that changed radically what an animated film could, should, uh, and would do for uh, up until now, all the way till we get to Inside Out. And I think you're right to point to the effect that Pixar has had on Disney. Oh, it's been an amazing effect. But when Toy Story first came out, it, it really did uh, say, we can do different things with an animated film than anyone thought was possible. So what is it that made Toy Story so different? What is it that changed... That, that like as as when we first saw it, what is it that made it that big of a game changer? I just did it. See, I just said game changer. <laughs> well, I mean, in in some ways, uh, I think that it has to do with the fact that Pixar um, was willing to to say we're not making a kids movie that's just a kids movie, and and it's it's from um, almost the opening scenes of that movie where. You know, they're making they're making jokes for the parents that are jokes that are just for the parents. Mm -hmm. uh, like Bo Peep says to to Woody uh, that maybe she should get someone else to watch the sheep tonight. Yeah. And that's and that's not something that a kid is going to get. But, you know, it, it's a, it's a moment where you're like, oh, yeah, that, that is that is a funny little uh, line just for adults. <laughs> yeah. 
And and they fill the story with those sorts of moments so that it's a movie you can take your kids to and, and be happy that you're there. Mrs. Potato Head. Mrs. Potato Head. I can dream, can I? <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the things that made when I first watched Toy Story, the things that like that uh, I think worked so well were those. One was those adult jokes. But two, it was this this like it, it felt like the people who made Pixar just climbed into every kid's imagination and found the thing we've all thought about. Because who hasn't had that thought of what happens if my toys came alive to life uh, to life when I was sleeping? Like, uh, I had had that thought, that exact thought when I was a kid. Like, what would it be like if my toys did come alive when I wasn't there? Because I used to play with G.I. Joes, and they all had characters and stuff, and I could imagine them coming to life when I'm not around. And when Toy Story came out, it was like they climbed into my childhood and found this 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 like this like this dream I had and then put it on screen better than I possibly could have with this adult sense of humor and this really, really clever dialogue that's just so in that Pixar way of like every every joke is just so perfectly crafted to fit in with like toys and life, you know, coming together. Yeah, well, and I think you're right to point to kind of this dreamlike quality in Toy Story. I mean, so there's a sense in which the the movies, despite being animated, kind of adhere to this realism in there. I mean, um, yes, they're all toys, but there there is a sense in which it's kind of grounded in a real world. Uh, and I think that's something I want to talk about more later. But there's also a sense in which it's very whimsical and childlike. And you compare Toy Story with uh, a movie that I think came out, you know, maybe three or four years later um, with a very similar premise, Toy Soldiers, I think. Yeah. Which which was about toy soldiers coming to life. And it ended up being this uh, this very kind of darker take on it where... I think they had to battle the toy soldiers or something because they were going to take them. You're talking about toy soldiers starring Kirsten Dunst, right? I'm. Was she in that? She was in. She was the love interest as a young girl. That was like I think maybe her the things she did after Interview with the Vampire. Um, yeah, uh, and this guy get he runs a toy store and the soldiers come to life and there's like the bad soldiers who are tr- supposed to hunt the Gorgons and they put this military chip inside of them which made them like actually become militant and start attacking the neighborhood. It's it's a very funny film. I saw it in theaters, but it was not Toy Story. No, and it and it tries to take even like a darker tone with it, right? Instead of really grabbing this this child childhood whimsy. Like there's there's there yeah. are moments in Toy Story that are darker, but they're all rooted in this kind of fantasy. Yeah, and I was about to say the word fantasy because it is a fantasy. It is magic. Toys come to life. That is a magical idea, right? That's not. Uh, whereas the one you're talking about, Toy Soldiers, with uh, also starring the voice of Tommy Lee Jones, uh, <laughs> I remember that movie surprisingly well. And, you really do. Um, and in that movie, it is not magic; it is science. It is these computer chips, these learning military computer chips that they put in toys, and so it's justified into the real world. And so it does have this reality and real world consequences and stakes on it whereas toy story is magic and whimsy and fantasy and it's kid children's fantasy is the thing that it is is it's like this is a fantasy a child would have and that that idea just alone that it's a child's fantasy come to life is what makes one part of what makes that movie so beautiful 
Uh, quick, quick uh, note. Actually, it's not Toy Soldiers. It's Small Soldiers, as it turns out. Thank you very much. Toy Soldiers was a 1980s uh, movie with a bunch of teenage boys at like a boarding school that gets taken over by terrorists. Yes, starring uh, um, <laughs> Samwise Gamgee. Yes, I remember too many movies. Okay, <laughs> but but so so what's interesting about Toy Story is yes, it has this this very fantasy element to it, but something that I had never noticed until sitting down and rewatching it for the podcast. Where's Andy's dad? <laughs> yeah, good point. And, and Andy's dad isn't there. He's not a character in the movie. He's never referenced. And it seems like what's happening at the beginning of the film, the move, is is predicated on a divorce. Well, is his dad even in the movie? No. It's all his just, dad, it's a single mother, isn't it? It's a, Yeah, it's a single mom. But Molly was born just a couple, what, months ago? year Maybe a year ago? Dad is somehow just out of the picture. Wow. You know, I have never allowed the real <laughs> intensity of that to sink in. I, yeah, I, I didn't get it until I was sitting there um, watching basically the end of Toy Story, realizing at no point had we seen seen the father show up. Wow, that makes that whole child playing with his toys in this like imagination way so much sadder. Well, I mean, it, it does point to kind of his escapism, right? And this is a movie in 1995. Yeah. So so again, it really, for me, points to another way that this, this movie is kind of epitomizing that kind of change we see in storytelling in the 90s, where that's okay. Yeah. Although they never reference it. That is true. They don't reference it. But yeah, I guess because in the 90s, divorce was a thing, clearly. Oh, yeah. But it was still a... You know, oh, your parents are getting divorced kind of thing. Where nowadays it's like, yeah, people get divorced. It's just, they just exactly. do it. It's no, no big deal anymore. So doing that in the 90s is a pretty bold move from Pixar. Go Pixar. And it's something that I think we see uh, again and again in Pixar movies. I can't remember. Do you remember the kid's name in Up? No. I can't remember it either. But uh, chubby, his, his Chubby Boy Scout kid. Yeah, Chubby Boy Scout kid. His his father had left, right? His mm-hmm. his father was absent. Um, Finding Nemo starts with uh, a, a Nemo's mass, mother. A mass genocide almost. Yeah, including... Uh, the including... death of 499 babies. Oh, my <laughs> I watched that. I, okay, I rewatched Finding Nemo, and I was blown away at how tragic the opening of that film is. 499 babies die and his wife. In the first five minutes, I was like, I was almost in tears shocked at how sad that movie was. Well, I mean, I I just watched uh, Toy Story 3 an hour before this podcast, and I'm glad I didn't watch it right before because I was bawling, yeah, just like openly weeping like a child. Oh, okay. Okay. Before we get too much into the sadness, because I'm going to want to talk about that later, especially when we get to Inside Out. Um, right. But it, it uh, Pixar is lives in the reality of what families actually are as opposed to any sort of ideal family. Um, and and it's not to say they don't occasionally have a traditional family, something like The Incredibles, but they even show, you know, the kind of cracks that exist in that relationship or in Inside Out very similarly. 
the difficulty of being parents uh, and and moving and and how hard that is on a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, it Pixar is really good at living in uh, living in real kind of childhood experiences. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, like, okay, we're getting into the sadness of Pixar here, uh, and I'm just gonna keep rolling with it. Uh, the beginning of Up, that <sighs> that montage. That happens about, you know, after it shows him as the, the old man as a child meeting this girl and they become, you know, friends mm-hmm. and they kind of fall in love and they start saving money to go on this trip. And then it does this montage that's just done to music of them going through their entire life together. And not only is it incredibly like like so moving and beautiful with with the beautiful things that come with getting married and falling in love and starting a life together. But they have a, a she, she. They can't get pregnant. She like loses a baby. Like mm-hmm. they go through so many real world things that actual adults live through. That I think that moment made every adult in the theater cry, and every kid in the theater just pleasantly getting some backstory. Yeah. Because I don't think a child is going to see her sad that she can't have a baby and cry as much as every adult in that theater watching that moment. It was just, it's like they they are not afraid to just deal with reality and, and make it not only sad, but beautiful. Well, and I mean, you know, I, the, the, the miscarriage scene or whatever it is, maybe they can't have a baby. I, I saw it as a miscarriage yeah, and I just, too. like, it just, it broke me. <laughs> and and that's two minutes into the film i know and then oh. they and then you know he you know she's sad and he goes and he tries to cheer her up and she's not the same as she was but you know she recovers a little bit and, uh, and then they continue showing this montage of their life and she dies <laughs> and then and then she dies so sad it's like they hit you twice in the opening four minutes and i i remember seeing that in theaters on like it was probably like a s- Saturday afternoon <laughs> and you're in a bawling. theater full of children and I'm just weeping just, loudly sobbing yeah. all these kids are like what the hell is wrong with that guy exactly and 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 that's so it, it's brave of of Pixar to say we're gonna start a movie by breaking you <laughs> yeah and, and and up itself isn't I, I wouldn't say it's their best movie I, I think it, I think it's very good the film itself uh I think is is probably one of one of the middling efforts from them, but the opening of that is so oh, good, so good, and like, but but it's so necessary for the storytelling part of it. And this is where with Pixar, their storytelling is just spot on, perfect. And if that sad montage wasn't there, we would not have the same empathy for the old man character that we do because he's a grump. And he's stubborn, and he refuses to move his house, and he's like he doesn't want to help this kid, and he's just sort of a mean, grumpy old man. But because we know what he's been through to get there, and now we understand why he doesn't want to get rid of his house, and why he wants to live alone, it makes you feel for him, and then willing to follow him on an adventure. Yeah, I mean, Pixar is really good at using like shorthand or cliche characters. But then letting you know that they're not shorthand or cliche at all, mm-hmm. and and Carl from Up is a fantastic example. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, Sid from Toy Story. I mean, Sid from Toy Story is just a mean old villain, right? Yeah. Well, it, except it's pretty clear he comes from 
um, what is probably an abusive, or, um, but at the very least, a neglectful household. Yeah. And and he he in a lot of ways is an opposite to Andy, who, despite the troubles in, that seem to be happening in Andy's home, he has a loving parent who cares for him, and mm-hmm. Sid doesn't have that, and so you see how they easily diverge. Yeah. So and, true. I mean, and it, you you see this in in everything, right? Like Brave, um, is is a great example where. You know, the the dad and the mom could be your your typical overprotective mother and your carefree father, except yeah. they're not. Mm-hmm. They they have they have a lot more nuance to them, and they uh, they grow throughout the story. But they also show that they're never just living within the cliche. Yeah. Okay, hold that thought for a second, because there's something else I want to say about Toy Story. That is okay. This is a far fetched hypothesis. Okay, a theory with very little ground, but I just need you to hear me out. Okay. The style of Toy Story's dialogue, the clever, witty jokes that are kind of subtly wink-winky almost during the 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 movie. Uh, do you know what I mean? That style of like, like, yeah. uh, like that sort of like out of the side of your mouth little jokes that they make that people might not even pick up on. That are just, uh, I'm trying to think of some exact examples of some of the jokes, but I, I didn't, I watched it like a week ago. So I'm trying to think of uh, what are some of the, what are some of your favorite jokes from Pixar? Oh man, that's it. But like the little thing, like, uh, should I guess I'm going to watch the sheep or like the toy soldiers, just their whole attitude, uh, like no man's left behind. And they like drag him the, the mine and, and it's the minesweeper guy that gets hurt. You know, who right, nobody right. cares about. Like, he's obviously the worst toy. Like, we, I, I had that toy, and he was the worst one because he swept for mines. Boring. Didn't even have a gun. Um, But, like, he's the one that gets hurt, and he's like, leave me. And it's like, no man's left behind. And they save him and stuff and all that. And, like, the uh, that, that, that sort of style of humor that they have in the movie that, that separates it. That is one of the, the defining elements that separates it from other kids' cartoon movies and Disney movies. Mm-hmm. One of the writers of the screenplay for Toy Story. Yes. The first listed writer is Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. And that kind of comedy is a Joss Whedon staple, in my opinion, of like those little jokes, those little tiny jokes that just throws in just as a joke, like in the Avengers, all those little like, uh, can we get, can can we go for donaires or whatever it is they do at the end of the movie there? Or the like the uh, puny God kind of jokes, you know, like those little like just throw away one line quick jokes. Yeah. It's such a Joss Whedon thing. And it is something that was in Toy Story that sort of has found its way through Pixar movies. That very clever, witty, jokey nature. So this is my far-fetching hypothesis. If it wasn't for Joss Whedon, would uh, would Pixar be so good? That that's that's a good question and, and far fetching. I just want to point that out before people start sending me angry emails. It it's, this is I'm just throwing that out there. I just want to hear what you what you think. Well, I I think I think that you're right to point to Joss Whedon, uh, in in that. So one of the things that that Pixar did and started with Toy Story was their their visual style, and they they only got they only got better at that throughout throughout their their filmmaking. Um, and you can you can see that in everything from their next film, A Bug's Life, all the way to Finding Nemo, where they, you know, perfectly, perfectly are able to, you know, show water and, and these beautiful landscapes that we see in Brave. And then Inside Out, right, which is able to take these uh, these characters that 
almost like they're formless characters. Um, lots of lots of the main characters in that movie are formless uh, in in the sense that, you know, we don't know what they should look like, but they're able to define them and define this entirely fantastical world expertly and make it look beautiful. And so the visual style is one thing. And of course, Joss Whedon had nothing to do with that. But yes, if you watch Toy Story and A Bug's Life back to back, you can see them missing that sort of Whedon-esque style, I think, because Toy Story perfectly has those sorts of quips and fun Whedonisms, and A Bug's Life tries to get them, but it, it, it almost, it, it misses. It misses again and again in that they're, they, they feel like they're trying to do it as opposed to they know how to do it. And yeah. so I think you're right. And, and I think that that's something that they, they spent some time working on and cultivating. Um, and, and you see them kind of fall back into in movies like Finding Nemo or movies like The Incredibles or yeah. uh, like Up as well, right? They, they do return to that sort of style. But I think that they, uh, with A Bug's Life, and I think even yeah. like... They, realized, they, may, they may have realized they were missing it in A Bug's Life. Uh, and yeah. then when they made Toy Story two, and we're getting back to that, those same characters with those same quips, they found that voice again. Because Monsters Inc. does have it pretty well. They still have that kind of that that same cocky humor that they that that which I'm trying to capture the the right words for, you know, like things like uh, I'm I'm just like trying to, I'm I'm remembering some of the jokes like the uh, the one where, uh, what is it uh, the 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 uh, you're a toy. And he's like, I think the word you're looking for is Space Ranger. Uh, the word I'm looking for, I can't say because there are preschool toys present. That joke, you know, like that kind of like, like uh, quick, quick witty, like showing how Woody is actually being witty himself, which is that Joss Whedon thing of allowing the characters to make those witty jokes themselves instead of being the jokes. Like when Woody is uh, asking Buzz for like, uh, lend me a hand uh, and Buzz throws him an arm. Uh, and he throws him his broken arm. Remember, remember like, right? And uh, yeah. and Woody laughs at him. Ha 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 ha! Firefly, Woody, this is serious. Uh, and recognizes that Buzz made a joke, you know, and that what Buzz was doing was a joke. And the same with Mr. Potato Heads. I'm Picasso. Hey, look, I'm Picasso. And the ham, the the pig guy, uh, doesn't get it. And then Mr. Potato Head uh, like like hits him for not getting his joke or something like that, uh, and it's like like little things like where the characters are themselves making clever jokes. That is like the Joss Whedon staple. I'm trying to put my finger on. Yeah, and and, and I think you're right. And I wonder I, I wonder how deliberate it was their attempt to get back to that, or whether you know <laughs> they they just found their way into into it incidentally, or maybe that's where Joss Whedon learned it from. Okay, one last. <laughs> specific example because i've just I've, I've found a list of some of the funny quotes uh the sergeant when they're opening the presents at the beginning of the movie and they're worried a new toy is coming and the sergeant's like it's it's bed sheets and mr potato head says who invited that kid <laughs> like <laughs> that joke is just such a classic joss whedon like who invited the kid that brings bed sheets <laughs> like bed sheets is a funny enough joke uh but then they have to have that little extra bump on it and that kind of humor in toy story is so joss whedon that uh, i love it i love it yeah i think you're right i think you're right that we can never prove this because we have no idea which lines joss whedon wrote yeah 
But I think it did play a large role into why Toy Story was so funny for adults and children, which is a big staple of what makes Pixar so great. Yeah, that, and that that's definitely the case. One of the things that I, I love about the Toy Story movies is their, I mean, their storytelling, I mean, and this is Pixar in general, but I mean, I, I notice it really strongly in Toy Story, is their storytelling is so strong, and their, their repetition, uh, and they don't have wasted scenes, and they don't have wasted lines, and they don't have wasted shots. No. And I mean, it's everything from the end of Toy Story where... Uh, Woody tells Buzz that they're flying, and Buzz responds, "No, we're falling with style." Yeah, like that recalling recalling the earlier parts of it, and the opening of Toy Story three is essentially a retelling of the opening of Toy Story one, just with you know more theatrics and and an actual Western background. Yeah, like like Andy's just gotten better at playing the with his toys because he's gotten older. Yeah, and. I mean, and then there there are little things when they release the barrel of monkeys and it's a mushroom cloud of monkeys. Yeah. Like, like for one, yes, a mushroom cloud is the universal, universal explosion, but it's also like it, it's, it's a subtle touch that, that reminds uh, older viewers that, oh, right. That's just a cool little visual joke or visual effect that, that isn't necessarily going to be caught on everyone. And I mean, even like little things where they say like, Bo Peep uh, was lost along the way uh, in the beginning of Toy Story 3. And you're just sad. Yeah. You're just like, Bo Peep is gone? I know. Like, Aunt Woody lost his his his, his love interest? <laughs> yeah, I'm so sad. Yeah. And and so they're, they, they don't waste anything. Uh, and, and they don't get to, uh, they, they aren't afraid to do something uh, sad or something frightening. Uh, for the sake of the story, uh, instead of saying, "Ooh, maybe that's too scary for kids," they're like, "No, no, no, let's have them on a conveyor belt, ready to fall into like an incinerator." Is it an incinerator or is it like a chopper? Yeah, no, it's an incinerator at the at the garbage dump. And it's like, oh my, like, ugh. I, I remember seeing a, a jokey meme on the internet of someone who who edited Toy Story three so that after that scene it went black and it said the end, uh, and then just. <laughs> filmed their kids crying like it's so frightening um and it's like they went that far you know they were like let's go there let's kill let's let's make everyone think we're gonna kill all of these toys but then that's that's even another great example how do they get saved in that in that by the three aliens from pizza planet using the claw machine mm -hmm. exactly like they were rescued from the claw machine in the arcade in pizza planet in the first movie yeah lots of great callbacks yeah it's it's a wonderful little callback and and just very clever storytelling that they're willing to i mean they, they don't need to explicitly say oh yeah no this is just like what happened we know or we we don't but either way it's it's wonderful little storytelling mechanisms yeah and um yeah, so before we move on to other movies, I do have to tell you something about Toy Story that's going to break your heart. Oh, no. So I remember in our trilogies episode, you talked about how uh, Toy Story was your favorite trilogy. Yeah. It's not going to be a no, trilogy anymore. No, no. It's not going to be a trilogy anymore. They have announced Toy Story 4 for 2017. <sighs> but from what I hear, let me put you a little bit, little bit at ease here. Okay. A little bit at ease is that... It's uh, the 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 when I think it was John Lasseter who talked about it, I don't remember who from Toy from Pixar that they weren't going to do it they were done 
but someone came up with a story that was just so good they had to do it. And it is now, it's like, it's the beginning of a new story. So you might want to think of it like the, like, like another trilogy of Toy Story as opposed to part of the same trilogy. So I assume it's going to be the end of the Andy era and the beginning of the new era. That's my assumption. I have no idea, but I just have okay. to, I just had to well, tell you that because I know you love those movies. And you just wanted to see me in pain. I just wanted you to know, I wanted you to hear it from me on this podcast as opposed to quietly by yourself reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's hope that it's, it's the fourth movie like Mad Max was yeah. as opposed to... Yeah. Do the fourth movie like Die Hard was. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> um, so uh, do you have any more to say about Toy Story? Or can I move on to it? I got another thing I just want to bring up. No, no, let's move on. But about the same, same similar points, because uh, uh, back to what you were talking about with family and about uh, The Incredibles. Because The Incredibles, I think, is one of my favorite all-time Pixar movies. Uh, as far as like perfect storytelling, perfectly crafted, everything fits together so well. And that idea of those adult themes within Pixar films. Because the beginning of The Incredibles is like, ah, oh, superheroes being superheroes. So great and like fun for kids. But then it's due to like a lawsuit of saving someone that doesn't want to be saved that forces superheroes into hiding and the government has to pay back all the money to like fix all the damages and like all this like sort of like hate towards superheroes that they have to go into hiding. You know, like that's a pretty adult theme an adult situation for kids to grasp. But Pixar doesn't pull punches and be like, oh, we should dumb this down for kids. They're like, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. Superheroes are forced into hiding because of this. And like, so that, first of all, super adult theme. And then the second thing is like this whole idea of their family being in like a rut, you know, where dad's gained a bunch of weight. He used to be so great. And now he's just like a shadow of what he was. And mom is having to like always tug for his attention to get them to help with the family. And like the the home life situation in that film is not a ideal home. It is a broken home life. And and then like the idea that she when she starts suspecting he's going on these missions, thinks he's having an affair. And that moment, that one moment where she walks out to the car when he's like leaving in his nice new fancy car and his new body because he's been working out and she found like the hair on his shoulder and she goes out to the car and she says, Bob, and he's like, yeah, honey. And she says, I love you with this sad, just like reminding you of like, we have a family together and like, please don't be out there like cheating on me. You know, like that theme is like, that's not for kids. Kids don't understand how important that is to somebody. And that sadness that that mother is feeling like that is just like, hey, adults in the audience, cry about this for a second. (laughs) And now we're going to move on to some more fun adventures. Like that is that is a huge, some huge choices they make in that film. Definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, I remember watching The Incredibles and... Mr. Incredible? Yeah. What's his? Yeah, Mr. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I remember watching uh, his kind of frustration in the family and and kind of his feeling of impotence. Yeah. And and remembering uh, Watchmen, the 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 graphic novel yeah. and then yeah, uh, later movie, and remembering that Watchmen did that same sort of you know impotence now that he's no longer a superhero. Mm. Uh, meme not me yeah but the convention idea of it yeah sure yeah and and the incredibles did it like a hundred times better than watchmen yeah 
just because you look at a father and you see that sometimes that they're just like wishing they were a young, strong man again. And for Watchmen, they 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 showed it through his his sexual impotence. Mm -hmm. And in The Incredibles, they just show a man who feels powerless, who doesn't know what he's doing in the world doesn't isn't even sure he wants to be a father isn't even sure he wants to be a husband because he doesn't know his place anymore and that is so much more powerful so powerful and he's working this dead-end job like that's supposed to help people but doesn't help people and like just the the, he's trapped in this cycle of just just destruction and the the way and and the the (laughs) the other moment of that film that is just a perfect pixar moment is when the kids are fighting and they're using their superpowers and he's running around and he's punching her and then she shoots a force field and he's like, hey, no force fields. And it's like that is what kids do when they fight. They like make up these rules to make it so they have the advantage. Uh, but there's just like they're fighting and then the mom tries to grab them and she's elastic girl. So like her arms are getting all tangled up as they're running around. And then she's like, Bob, intervene, intervene. And then he picks up the table. I'm intervening like that whole moment. Of them running around, her arms being stretched out, him holding up the table is like, hey, look, these are all their superpowers being used in a perfectly, like, then this is a family fight that we've seen a million times in your family and in your life, but being played out perfectly in this magical world of superheroes. And then the doorbell rings and they like go all back to normal. And then it's Lucius. <laughs> and they're like, Lucius! Uh, and it's like their uncle Lucius coming to visit, you know? Like, it's perfect. Like, that is that is what happens in families. And everyone acts like it's okay when someone new is there. Their their ability to, to tell family stories and tell stories about growing up has a lot of subtlety to it and a lot of nuance. Yeah. And it's very carefully done, which is funny because then you look at movies like Wally. Or you look at movies oh. like Up, and yeah. they're they're I'm I'm gonna I mean Wally and Up I love both movies, but they're not subtle. Up is like it isn't subtle in its critique of this kind of colonial poacher mindset, and Wally in no way has any <laughs> sort of nuance. It's it's a critique of consumerism. It's a critique yeah. of our use of the environment. It's like it it is so heavy handed. And and it's funny and it and it works really well, but there is no point in that movie where I'm like, Whoa, that's deeper than I thought it was. No, it's it's as it's as shallow as as you expect at first glance. <laughs> that is very true. Okay, you're, you're yeah. So they aren't all that beautifully crafted. Um Well it, but the- it's the difference between family and then kinda like their their social critique with family and their their ability to explore those sorts of relationships is perfect and spot on but then when they they move to the next level to a broader societal critique and you even see this in finding nemo right like it's the same sort of criticism of of our use of the environment somewhat yeah. and and our uh our uh, i don't know what the word i'm looking for but our yeah, polluting and stuff like that and and like keeping animals and fish in tanks and that sort of yeah. thing like it, it critiques that that element of society but it does so through a family story yeah and that's why it still works as like a, a heart-wrenching story uh, whereas wally and actually i would say wally yeah you're right because wally's story isn't family it's that love story yeah wally and eve you know like that that's what sort of drives it and the finding nemo father-son story is so much more powerful and intimate 
Especially because when we watch Wally, we aren't even sure Eve's really conscious. Yeah, not not until well, I mean, she becomes conscious. Yeah, but at pretty, the but at the beginning, yeah, you're yeah, like, you're right, you're mm-hmm. right. and Finding Nemo, like that that father son story, is just beautifully done as well. That's uh, he cares like and his like what what is the last thing his son says to him? Like, I hate you, Dad. He says, I hate you. Yeah, and then f- swims out and hits the butt. And gets caught, and then like at the very end, near near the end, uh, he says, "I love you, Dad." And you're like, "Oh God, oh man, it just <laughs> breaks my heart." <laughs> After killing 499 children at the beginning of that movie, I just want to point this out one more time. <laughs> you you're really on this genocide, thing. dude. 499 deaths at the beginning of a movie. That is, they're not. That, they're, it's not. It's not death. They're unfertilized eggs. You see their but, eyes inside those eggs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But I mean, moving on. Brave, moving on. Brave is another example, right? Where I mean, the story in Brave is really straightforward. Uh, but you know, it's it's just another sort of family family drama where they have to, you know, realize that uh, you know the the that each other's point of view is legitimate. Yeah, and you know, there is uh, so the movie where uh, where there isn't a family relationship explored. But uh, it is still that beautiful, sad, emotional thing that Pixar does so well is Monsters Incorporated, right? Uh, and there that that relate the relationships in that film aren't aren't family based; they are friendship based. But it is this surrogate sort of father relationship that he has with the with Boo, the baby, mm-hmm. and he uh, and slowly grows to like think of her as his daughter almost, or like we start thinking of her like that in that way. And uh, and when he scares the the when he does like the monster scaring simulator, and she sees the monster that he is, and it kind of breaks her, it also breaks us. Yes, and that works so well because of how she calls him Teddy for the whole rest, <laughs> like the big leading up to that moment. That when he scares her and she cries, we're we're broken. And I mean, yeah, you're right. The friendship element too is 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 an important component for them because i mean toy story is also a story about the building of buzz and woody's friendship right yeah it isn't a family uh, although it is sort of that family of toys almost but uh yeah it's not a family family that yeah that they and, explore. and it's against the backdrop of the the broader i'm sure they have a last name but andy's family the andy's yeah <laughs> they're called the andy's the andy's <laughs> yeah well and and one of the other things that Pixar is so spectacular with is just picking the right people to voice their characters. Oh yeah, perfect! Like the ideal, like uh, voice actors that they're so good at that. Yeah, like John Goodman, perfect, fantastic in in Monsters. Well, and and and, uh, and, um, and what's his name? The other uh, Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal, like yeah, Billy Crystal, like the most the the the, the perfect funny character to play that funny small character. Like unbelievably perfect, and and Tim Allen, fantastic. Tom Hanks, this is Tom Hanks's best role. Oh, for sure. Well, except for maybe Forrest Gump. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and uh, Finding Nemo was uh, was Ellen DeGeneres, like as Dora, like or Dory, Dora, Dory, Dory, Dory. So good, so great. And The Incredibles, Samuel L. Jackson as Lucius, mm-hmm. like that's a perfect cast for that. Uh, like they just they do a very 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 good job casting thing 
Well, and Inside Out, which we haven't at all talked about, really. We're but about like, to. Those, the five emotions with uh, Amy Poehler, uh, Louis Black, uh, Lewis, Mindy. Louis Black as anger was just like, of course, that's like. <laughs> well, and Amy Poehler as joy. Yeah. Like, I, I know you haven't seen Parks and Rec, but uh, Amy Poehler's was the, the only person in the world that could have played that role for me mm. after seeing it. Like, I can't imagine anyone else nailing it yeah, as well as she did. And so they, they, they are expert casters yeah okay before we get on to inside out the last thing i just want to talk about briefly is monsters university okay uh it does two things that i think is is awesome the first thing it does is it's a prequel which i believe is the first pixar prequel they've done where they go and only and only yeah only thus far but it is a prequel to a movie so they didn't make a sequel to monsters inc which i think is great because we don't want to see a sequel where it's all about billy crystal making kids laugh to get energy i think the idea of them wanting to get people to scream is so important that they can't really make a sequel so the fact that they made a prequel i think was brilliant and they went to the the university and so instead of monsters inc it's monsters university great little twist there and the way they explore the university life in that film is so funny. <laughs> of the improv club. Okay, there's an improv club in the movie. Uh, and they're like, hey, join the improv club. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's so funny. And it's a sports movie that we forgot to reference when we were talking about sports movies. Because <laughs> um, it is the Monsters, uh, what do they call it? The Monsters Bowl? The Monster Bowl? Monster Ball? Yeah, whatever it I is. I can't remember what it's called. But that whole, like, it's like them trying going to, like, the scare scareathlon and stuff and like having to do all these like and it's about a team of people slowly coming together so like the emotions are just soaring because it's a sports movie you can't not get emotional about a sports movie and because we know that they are going to become the bestest of friends throughout that whole movie that last sequence where they go into like the the um the sleepover or the or like the camping trip the girl guides camping thing you Mm -hmm. know what i'm talking about Yep. Um, and how like sad he is because he's not even scary to these kids. And then how when they work together, they're extra scary. It's like, oh, it's just this beautiful and heart wrenching and wonderful little story. I just wanted to bring that up just because we didn't talk about it. And it's a sports movie and a prequel. I find that fascinating. Well, and it brings our favorite actor into the Pixar fold. Steve Buscemi. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. Well, he was in Monsters, Inc. Yeah, he was Randall in Monsters, Inc. Of course he was. Of course yeah. he was, yeah. But Steve Buscemi, yeah, he, he, uh, that's another voice actor we forgot to mention that he's just so, so cool that he's in those movies. And I'm um, the other actor that we actually both love, good old Nathan. That's right, Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, here we go. Inside Out, the latest and greatest creation of Pixar. Maybe, maybe not the greatest in your opinion, but latest at the very least uh, creation of Pixar, which we both have seen in theaters. Beautiful. Ab- absolutely beautiful. Touching, beautiful, perfect. And I saw it in a movie theater with a bunch of kids behind me who were whining and crying to their parents, and the parents had to take them to the back of the theater. And I was just like watching this movie, experiencing the real life of children right behind me. <laughs> and well, normally I would be like, okay, shut up, kids. But watching that movie, it was just like anytime a kid would like cry to their dad behind me, I would just like tear up a little myself. <laughs> what I like most about Inside Out, and Inside Out is one of four Pixar movies that I have bawled in 
Mm-hmm. And I think there, I think Inside Out, I, it happened multiple times for me, sure. which was great. Because that's the difference. Like, Finding Nemo, I think I cried at the end. Up, I cried at the beginning. Toy Story, I cried when... No, no Toy Story, I cried a couple times. Because the incinerator, and then when he's giving the toys away mm. to Bonnie, oh. that... Oh, just thinking about that breaks my heart oh. in such wonderful ways. Oh. Yeah. But inside, inside out definitely um, made me cry in a number of different ways. But it's a, it's a wonderful. If if Pixar stopped making movies and they're not, and we will see next week, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna do the Good Dinosaur, I think. But Inside Out is a perfect culmination of Pixar. The 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 intro kind of show it takes what they learned from up and and that kind of introductory storytelling and how to how to tell an entire story in a in a snapshot they they just pulled that right out the the exploring emotions and the way that emotions interact and can be useful and valuable they take that straight out of the monsters movies Mm -hmm. right they they take this this family dynamic out of a number of movies but i mean you can see in riley you can see echoes of andy from toy story but also uh miranda meridian from brave and and that sort of and then just the absolute cleverness is mastered in that movie yeah where every train of thought train of thought headquarters (laughs) because it's in her head it's so funny and you know sometimes ideas and opinions you know they get mixed up oh that happens all the time yeah and the the like song in your head that's stuck in your head sometimes we just put there in the just put this in there just for fun. Just send it on there. <laughs> like, oh, that's why we get songs stuck in our head. Yeah. And and it's it's such a it's it's a perfect like it is my favorite Pixar movie. And I would say even in a year filled with excellent movies, Inside Out, probably the best movie of this year. Wow. I mean, and that's I mean, Star Wars comes out later, so does <laughs> Spectre and the Hateful Eight. Those, but mm, no, I, I see I see what you're doing here. I see where you're going, and I agree. It uh, so far, it's one of the greatest movies I've seen in theaters this year, easily. Yeah. Two things about it that I, I just want to raise that that I loved: the opening of Joy pressing that button and consciousness coming to a child, and it's just pure joy at the very beginning. Is one of those moments of Pixar's adult themes of like. Like, just, they don't explain it. They don't say, like, they don't start outside of the baby's head and then go into the baby's head so that you see that this is people inside the baby's head. It starts inside the head with joy figuring out what's happening. And it's just so, uh, the depth of that concept, I don't know how any of the kids behind me understood what was happening at that moment. But uh, they did. They, They got the movie, you know? And, like... I just thought that was such a beautiful opening. And then sadness shows up. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And then start crying and, and great. And from there, we we fall in love with this movie. And the other thing is the character of Riley and the core memories that they set up for her is one of those perfect Pixar living in the now of of what it means to be a young girl. And it they didn't go with ponies and princesses and all of these gender stereotypes they were like no no we want riley to be a real person and you know what she likes hockey 
and uh, her friend, her friend is like a, a one of her core memories. What was the other core memory? She had family, friends, hockey, goofball, goofy, goofball, silly, like goofball sliding, island. goofball on, like sliding down the railing and stuff like that, and being a, a a monkey and stuff like that, like all those kind of things. Like they rounded out that character into a real life person, and I saw in her like my little cousins who are exactly like like just like young girls, but they're like tough and want to just have water fights and things like that and they didn't do the stereotypical young girl character and i was so happy that they didn't it, it it made that movie perfect like it felt they they lived in the real world the way andy didn't have a father you know like and and i i yeah i loved it and the the nuance in that movie is i did not at all expect sadness to be the hero in that journey uh, I didn't. Yeah. The bittersweet, didn't. the sad, joyful memories. Yeah. I mean, it, I really, I mean, yes, once sadness came along on Joy's journey, I was, I, I thought sadness would, would play a part, but I didn't think that they would go to the places they did. And I was, I was so joyfully surprised. Like, as opposed to the moment where, uh, what was the name of the invisible friend? Bong Bong? Bing Bong. The moment where Bing Bong sacrifices himself so that Joy can uh, make it out of the the memory dump that you see coming, and it's and it's it's sweet, but it's not it's not as heart wrenching as as when sadness and joy the memory becomes a sadful joyful memory. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing, right? They're they're willing to say, oh well, this this thing that you think you know you you know this is coming, but just wait, we're gonna we're going to at the end definitely take you to a completely different place yeah and they do that that sort of the the thing of like here's our thesis statement inside every person there are these five emotions and then by the end they've completely explored that and twisted it into the point that but let's be honest it's not that simple no there we feelings and emotions are not separate into these five things clearly we have sad memories that are also joyful we have disgusting memories that are also joyful we have happy mem- we, have, we have sad memories that are also angry like we have com- we are complex creatures and it almost like i mean it's perfectly epitomized by the end of the movie when they get the new control panel and it has the puberty on it yeah. right and it's it's this moment where you realize oh right we've been we've been showing you what is a relatively simple straightforward setup of these characters but there are so there's so far that we could go with this yeah and the the other the things they do of 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 complexity of feelings and emotions like the the three other heads we get inside you know or we got inside a bunch i guess in the credits there but like the three heads we get inside during the film when they go into mom's head and we see that sadness is in the the main seat Oh, geez. Instead of joy being in the main seat is just like that was for adults. That was the moment that my wife at the end of the film pointed out to me that sadness was driving the mom and how like that is Pixar at their their peak of like adult giving moments to the adults in the crowd and exploring real life and real adults. And then when we go into dad and anger is leading dad. Like what? Like so, it shows that hey, we aren't all led by joy. Yeah. And as we grow older, maybe other emotions are going to take over, and joy is just there at the beginning, but not necessarily there straight through to the end in charge. Uh, and then, of course, the the brilliant moment where she bumps into the boy at the end. 
and the and we go inside the boy's head and it's just like the red light is flashing and it's like girl and all the emotions are just running around crying on the ground they're just broken down they don't know what to do because there's a girl talking to them that moment is just uh i know that moment and then and and like yeah i know that moment that they were talking about with the boy and ella's emotions break down he freezes up because this movie like with toy story the very first movie they did Again, they climbed inside my childhood imagination where I have had the thought of little things like a person in my head driving me, you know, or like what, what, yeah. like that sort of thought. I've fantasized about that as a child, you know, or thought or wondered about it. And they did it again where they climbed inside and they took it and they made it even better than I could have possibly imagined. It's a fully realized world. Which which seems weird to say because they're they're the whole story takes place basically inside a child's brain, yeah. but but it is a fully thoughtful, carefully nuanced world in which any number of things can happen, right? Like they're um, and they we 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 believe their world and we want to see more of it and where I'm I mean it's just so impressive, you know the the idea. Um, of of these islands of personality and the memory dump and these core ideas and and I have to say I mean this is for for a movie that is definitely aimed towards kids it is such a thoughtful careful and nuanced understanding of what depression looks like right hmm. like the when she when she starts to kind of break down, it's not that her feelings stop working. It's that they can't access the control panel. Yeah. They can't do anything. It freezes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not that sadness takes the driver's seat. It's that no one's driving. Yeah. It's that I've pushed my emotions to the back of my head. Yeah. And what is it that an idea has taken over? Yeah. This one idea, this this uh, this idea of running away is taken over and everything else is is and you do and that you are blinded to all other feelings and all everything else. You just have to do this one thing. Your mind is set. And they capture that perfectly. Like like the of how it must look inside your head when you are in that moment. And and the way the islands slowly start crumbling is just like, oh my gosh, it's so sad. And that moment at the end where she hugs the family. Oh, this is the this this is my thing with Inside Out. So so uh um as I almost tear up here thinking about that moment where she has her family. <laughs> but the the beginning of that film, like act one, is perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh act three, the end of that film, when she's running away from home and she's like the they're they're trying so hard to get her to go back and sadness is the one that saves the day and she goes back and has this sad, happy memory and like all of that. That moment is the act three is perfect. Act two is good. Act two, where she's like, where they're in the memory bank and they're going on the adventures and they're meeting Bing Bong and they're going through the train of thought and they enter into abstract thought. It's all very fun and it's very good, but it is not, uh, it, is, it is sort of bookended by these two perfect acts of act one and three that are just so perfect. And that act two, you could have changed that around. You could have moved some things here and there and it still would have worked, uh, in my opinion, when I watched the film. Well, I think I think act two of that movie is where they really get into kind of the fun and games and the promise of the premise, right? Yeah, where they yeah. they say we are in we are in someone's mind. Well, what are what are the wacky you know things that we could do with that? How can we have a bunch of fun? Yeah, and that's why they have the 
chamber of abstract thought. That's why they have the um, the 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 boyfriend thing, right? Where, oh, the dream boy, the perfect dream boy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and and all these sorts of little gags, which are funny, um, and and some of them come up and are used for the for Act Three, and some of them never come up again, but they're they're all designed to say we came up with this great idea for uh, a movie. We're now going to execute on all the fun around that idea. And I think you're right. I think that they could have cut liberally from the second act and, and we wouldn't have missed much. Yeah. And that is the thing is like, it could have been cut. A lot of it could have been cut and a lot of different things could have been put in. And the movie still would have been just as great because of how great Act One and Three was, and that's just how, like that's all I that's that is my biggest takeaway from that movie. Like, man, that end is like, uh, who cares about the beginning of that movie when you get to the end? Like, it's just so powerful. It is. It is. Well, and uh, another thing, I mean, this movie in a lot of ways reminded me of Inception. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's in a brain. Ideas taking over. Okay. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? So, you know, we, we know how you feel about Christopher Nolan uh, in general. But in in Inception, he has this idea of, well, what would it look like if we were to, you know, explore? I mean, he takes it further to let's do uh, a heist in someone's brain. But what, what would we do if we could be in someone's mind and explore the way that they interact with ideas and influence it? And And it's a cool idea. Like the idea of Inception is fantastic. Um, and I think the opening third of that movie is is just so much fun, and then it goes in many weird directions after that. But the idea is so strong, and I think Christopher Nolan gets caught up in how cool the idea is, but never never thinks it through think thinks it through to its kind of logical conclusions and its nuances. Whereas with Inside Out, they said, okay, we've got this really cool idea. But what would it actually mean? Yeah, how can we make it meaningful? Not just like, how can we explore this fun, cool idea? But how can we make it so that this fun, cool idea leads to an incredibly powerful, incredibly strong finish? And they nailed it. And and like, I can see them stumbling into gags. Like the 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 gag where the, the gum song commercial is a hilarious gag. And it feels like it's just a logical conclusion based on the way that they built the world. Yeah. Like it's just well, yeah. Of course, of course, that's that's what happens, right? Because if you can insert different memories into uh, to make the the main character feel something different, well, then of course you that's how you get to you know the annoying song that won't go away. Yeah, and and it just feels like everything everything came together because of how much time they spent thinking about the way that the world should work, as opposed to Inception, which. You know, the the end of that movie is, you know, the like the does the top is the top still spinning? Who cares? That kind of moment at the end of the movie is is an epitome of the rest of it where it's like, yeah, we're just trying to be very clever here. Yeah. And like if they wanted to make uh, Inception have as powerful an ending, the him finding his kids at the end. What he should have been dreaming about that whole time and why he couldn't do it is because of his kids. But they made it all about his wife who committed suicide in this really dark, depressing kind of thing. So that when he gets to the kids at the end, it's like, well, his wife's still dead. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> eh, okay, all right, I'm done. Movie's over. Um, yeah. That is, uh, yeah, they are, 
they are masters storytellers, uh, Pixar, which is something that just to, to a brief note here before we probably wrap up is this idea of the Pixarfication of Disney and how since Disney has bought Pixar, they're still producing Pixar movies, but they are still making Disney movies. And when you look at the Disney movies they've made since the purchasing of Pixar, uh, you have things like uh, like Wreck-It Ralph, which to me is a is a Disney movie that looks like a Pixar movie. And I'm surprised. I was surprised when I looked up at the list of what Pixar movies exist that Wreck-It Ralph wasn't one of them, because it has that Pixar feel to it of that the the storytelling, uh, the relationship between the. Wreck-It Ralph and the, uh, the, the glitch. And it is like a, a familial relationship. Uh, and, and like her, uh, like Sarah Silverman, again, great voice actors in that Sarah Silverman and, uh, and what's his name? John, John C. Riley. Right. Right. John C. Riley. Yeah. Like perfect, perfect, like voice casting, but like, um, her Sarah Silverman, the comedy that comes out of that kid's, uh, mouth is like perfect, like Pixar style comedy, like witty, clever, like they make poop jokes. <laughs> like, but anyway, it's just like, it's just a, and the comedy that comes out of it is wonderful. And the sort of sadness of him, like sacrificing himself at the end with this, like, I'm a bad guy, but that doesn't make me a bad guy, you know, as he falls into the Mentos temple, like that beautiful ending, like what a hard wrencher. Um, So like, I think, Disney having bought Pixar is starting to influence the movies Disney makes. What do you think? I think that's right. Uh, I think I think that might be something we're still yet to see entirely, right? Because, uh, I mean, Disney still post uh, post Pixar made movies like The Princess and the Frog and Tangled, which I I call probably more traditional Disney movies. Um, in in that they're you know. They basically take uh, a piece of folklore or a myth or an older story and they do a little twist on it, um, but, I mean, not really enough to make it its own interesting story. Um, and actually, you kind of see that with A Bug's Life, right? Like, A Bug's Life is um, is just kind of a retelling of Aesop's fable. Yeah. And as opposed to its its own unique story. And I think that's one of the reasons that it suffers a little bit, because it's I think trying to be too much an old Disney movie as opposed to um, Pixar, but they hadn't figured out their style yet at that time. Yeah. But we're at a time where Disney's making things like Frozen yeah. or things like Big Hero 6. And and so we are getting to these these very new sorts of Disney movies that, that do kind of break boundaries um, away from the old Disney, whether or not that that sticks around for a while, I don't know. Because, I mean, I th look at something like Big Hero 6, and it feels more like it's inspired by the superhero movie rise as opposed to the Pixar mm. rise, yeah. right? But again, when I watch Frozen and, uh, like, the dialogue they use in Frozen echoes me back to Toy Story and that Pixar kind of humor. Like, I think one of the funniest jokes in that whole film, I don't know how well you know the movie. Not she's at all. climbing the ice mountain and uh, she's like, oh, air's getting, th is the air, th air scene thin up here to you? And then you look and you see that she's hardly off the ground. Haha, -ha, nice little sight gag. And then the snowman is like, oh, I found a shortcut. And she jumps off the mountain and the, the guy catches her. Kristoff uh, catches her. And she goes, whoa, hey, that was like a crazy trust exercise. 
that joke. That was like right. a crazy trust exercise in this princess type land. That is not a Disney kind of joke. <laughs> At least I did not read it as one. It was like, this is more like Pixar's influence on it. And I know it's actually was written by the same uh, woman who worked on Wreck-It Ralph. And they both, Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen, have that same kind of humor. So maybe it's just her. But I totally, see, I still see it as this influence of Pixar onto Disney, which I'm so happy about because I think it's going to help make Disney better and get them out of their kind of rut between like you know aladdin and present day <laughs> you know? well i i think i i mean one of the things it'll be interesting to see is whether you see disney take on kind of the rejection of the love story uh that you you see from pixar because other than wally um i wouldn't say that pixar does really love stories uh, a bug's life as well but like um, the they do occasionally have this love interest thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Buzz and Jesse is a good example, mm -hmm. but they're it, it's very background. Whereas in Frozen, it's it's a more traditional love story. Princess and the Frog, well, you know, these sorts of things. Frozen is actually not a traditional love story in any way, and that's the thing about it that I think makes it so great. And so is Wreck It Ralph. Neither of them are are traditional love stories. There is a love story in Wreck It Ralph between Fix It Felix and the tough military girl the tough military woman from the other game. And in Frozen, there is a love story between Anna and uh, and Kristoff. But both cases, like in Frozen, they intentionally kind of make fun of the fact that like you're in love with them after one day. Are you insane? Like, And Kristoff refuses to trust her judgment because she's found true love after a day and is confounded by that fact. And so, like, right away, they're they're going against that kind of Disney idea of, like, a prince charming and this falling in love and it's all perfect. And he ends up becoming a bad guy by the end of the movie. Uh, and the love, the the act of true love that, that thaws a broken heart is right, when she right. saves her sister. Right. And it's this sister love, right? And in Wreck-It Ralph, the same thing is that the love story is not, like, the, the main crux of the film you know it's just like the side story for fix it felix to fall in love with the the tough girl and uh and even and even then the tough girl whose husband was killed at their wedding ceremony because she had the worst backstory of all of them um like is already like an interesting kind of like she's a widower you know and he's falling in love with her and like uh but the rest of it is wreck it ralph and this young girl and they're finding this wonderful friendship kind of love and so I think it is influencing Disney's uh, and pulling them away from their classic cliched love stories. Okay. You know what? I, I think I buy what you're saying. And I, I think you're right. I think it'll be interesting to see whether they continue to do that uh, through, throughout their storytelling uh, or not. Because if we look at like Aladdin, classic princess, prince falling in love story. Uh, if we look yep. at what are what are the other ones from that big uh, the big the golden era like the Little Mermaid classic princess prince falling in love story, uh, we look the at Lion the Lion King a little different but her they they, they were basically fell in love when they were kids and they yeah classic like they open oh, can you feel the love tonight um like classic kind of falling in love prince and princess love stories. Uh, what are the other golden era ones that I'm missing here? I'm missing some like uh, Pocahontas, Mulan, like all of these are like uh, Mulan, maybe a little different, uh, but still like falling in love with the prince. Still. Yeah. It ends with the with, the love. Yeah. And Wreck-It Ralph does not like Wreck-It Ralph does not end with a wedding. Frozen does not end with a wedding. All of the old 
classic Disney love stories all end with weddings. And so I feel like it's working and that Pixar's influence on Disney is getting the, bringing them into, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's modernize these stories and, and stop making it that the only love that exists is between a man and a woman. Yeah. A Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, great. Prince and Princess. Like, she falls in love with the Beavens of Beast. I think that has the worst theme of any Disney movie ever. It's that, hey, if a man seems like a monster, you just have to love him harder. Like, that's the oh. theme of that movie. Like, it's terrible. Beauty and the Beast is terrible <laughs> to tell it, children. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Frozen, which is wonderful to tell children. That love takes time and family and the love between sisters is just as important. It's like, ah, oh, it's beautiful. Anyway, uh, any closing thoughts? What are, you, what are your closing thoughts on Pixar? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to be living in the uh, golden era of uh, Pixar. Uh, my, my worry is that, you know, we, I mean, we saw it with Disney, right? Disney left their, their golden era and started making some pretty lousy films. Pocahontas, for sure. <laughs> was the end. <laughs> well, yeah, that was such a bad film. Yeah, that, that's the end of, that was the end of Disney's era to me, Pocahontas. Yeah. But but I mean that being said, Pixar and Disney is, have always been very different, right? Because up until kind of the Cars movies, uh, they they've been hesitant to to milk a property just for the sake of milking it, right? Like Toy Story two, I I think Toy Story two is a better better movie than Toy Story one. Yeah, it was definitely not milking the Toy Story property. It was that there was still more stories to tell. Yeah, and and my worry with something like Monsters University was that they were just going to milk the the kind of the the Monsters Inc. and they instead did something completely different, mm -hmm. uh, unexpected, unexpected altogether. And so I I guess I'm not as worried with Pixar. I don't I don't worry that they they're going to ruin the Incredibles with an Incredibles sequel. They are making one. They are, yeah. I saw a poster for yeah, it. Yeah, so that is the thing. If you look at the future lineup, there are three of them, four of them of the of the seven are sequels. One of them isn't even announced what it is yet. But that being said, this year they're releasing two completely original. That is Inside true. Out, and then next week we're going to be seeing The Good Dinosaur. And so I think that they have a good mix of telling new interesting stories and at the same time going back and finding the finding the directions they could go and and exploring them and i mean even something like brave which again i don't i don't think is a fantastic movie it's just good it's they took a they took a chance with that right like they they did this very cultural story that is radically different than any other pixar movie like the their their exploration of kind of the Scottish Highlands is is not something that you would have predicted from uh, from the Cars movies or from Up, but they they took a chance, and I mean partially I think they took a chance because they figured out how to do hair. Yeah, they really like did. really well. They really did. Up until then, they were afraid to do people. Like they, I think that is that the first note. The Incredibles was the first one that was about people. Yeah, and and Wally, they had a bunch of people as well, That's true, and yeah. then Up as well. But you're, but but definitely with Brave, it was something a, a different kind of film, 
and they're willing to take chances. So I'm not that worried about it. Yeah. I mean, with the good dinosaur, they're going to be they're going to be treading like the land before time territory, which is a series that had like 20 sequels. So I'm not worried about Pixar. Yeah, I'm, I would agree. I'm not worried about them at all. And especially because Brave was where I would say the opposite of of what happened with Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen, where where Brave felt like Disney fought, trying to Disneyfy Pixar. And because it was a musical, wasn't it? No, it it seems like a musical, but it's not. Okay. It's, it, it has a couple of it, it, has it some, does have some more music, songs but, and stuff in it, but there's not. Like yeah, music. Mumford and Sons yeah. did a but, song. But uh, but so Brave feels like a Disney movie, kind of, with this princess type thing with a Pixar twist, and so it felt like Disney was trying to do their thing with Pixar, and I think they realized that that's not the way to go. And they've backed away from it now. And when you look at things like Monsters University, Inside Out, uh, The Good Dinosaur that's coming up, uh, and then they're going into like the sequels of like Finding Dory for Finding Nemo and Toy Story 4. And it's like, oh, good. So Disney's realized like we should stop trying to Disneyfy Pixar and instead make Disney movies and then let Pixar make Pixar movies. And it works just fine. And in fact, letting Pixar influence Disney. So yeah, and that's sort of my closing thoughts is just that I'm so happy that Pixar is remaining Pixar. And in fact, helping Disney make better movies than being gobbled up by Disney and just turned into more animators for their cheesy love stories. And uh, and I think this is a this is a sign to me that Disney itself is actually doing very well. Like they now own Pixar, everything. They own Pixar, Star Wars, The Avengers. Like they are doing what they're doing what Walt Disney would have done when he was alive. This is the thing about Walt Disney and this idea of. He, want, he made these little animated films. Everyone was like, oh, that's great, these short little animated films. He wanted to make a feature. Everyone was like, you're crazy. That'll never work. He did. It worked. Then he was like, oh, I'm not going to stop there. I also want to make a, a better theme park. And they're like, you're crazy. And then he did it. I want to make it that TV came out and everyone's like, oh, TV's going to kill movies. We hate it. And he's like, no, I'm going to make a bunch of TV shows. And just kept making more and more and just accepting all of these new things. And so with things like Pixar and the Avengers and these like multiple universe things, Disney's like, no, 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 we'll take them. We'll do that. Let's not let's not worry about how this is going to cannibalize our current business. We'll also do this business. The fact that they are allowing Pixar to stay Pixar is a great move by Disney. I agree. Well, I hope this will be a very sad, happy memory for you, Steve. It it will be sad, happy with my memory uh, spherical iPads. <laughs> Awesome. All right, man. I will uh, talk to you next week. Yeah, talk to you next week about The Good Dinosaur. Oh.